0: This is the third week of our series we're calling Level Up. And in this series, we're learning how God builds our character by producing the fruit of His Spirit in our lives. And, and as I was getting ready for this weekend, I came across a really interesting verse I want to show you. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. The book of Romans was actually a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, he says this, The mind governed, and literally the Greek word here could be translated, and is translated in some versions, prompted, the, the mind prompted by the flesh is death. And, and what Paul, and again, he's writing to Christians, he wants us to understand that as a Christian, if you're living your life kind of by your own basic human instinct, what feels right, what seems right. He says the end of that is going to be, even for a Christian, a death-like existence. And In other words, just like Mick Jagger, you're not going to get any satisfaction out of that life. You're not going to find any purpose in that life. You're not going to be fruitful in that life. You're never going to be the person that God created you and designed you to be if you're living your life prompted by your own flesh. But he goes on to say the mind governed, again, are prompted by the spirit is life, and peace. And this is what Paul is saying in this verse. He's saying throughout our day, God, through his Spirit, will prompt us. In other words, we get to situations in our life where we have to make a decision, and you've probably been there, right? And there's just something inside of you saying it's not right, it's not the right decision. No, 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 no. That's the Spirit of God prompting you. You've got, but you got to be listening to it. you got to be sensitive to it. But not only that, He will prompt us to make the right choices, to do the right things. And He says when we do that, it leads to life and peace. But understand, for that to happen, for us to live that kind of life, we have to decide that moment by moment, day by day, we're going to learn how to follow and depend on the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, He will prompt us to do what He wants us to do. Here's the cool part. He will actually empower us to do what we cannot do. But if that's going to happen in our lives as Christians, we're going to have to abandon the old approach to the Christian life. The Christian life I grew up with is kind of this idea, I'll keep all the rules, I'll be the person God wants me to be, I can do it, I can make it happen. For our lives to be transformed, we have to abandon that approach and we have to adopt this new approach that says, I can't do it in my flesh, I can't live the Christian life. See, we want to manhandle it. You know, we, we like, I'm, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be a more patient person. I'm going to be a more kind person. I'm going to be a more loving person. We can't do that. And when we get to the point where we realize we can't do it, but God can do it through us, we begin to see the transformation take place. By the way, when we learn to live this way, We'll spend a lot less time praying, God, help me quit this habit, or God, help me control my temper, or God, help me control my anger, or God, help me control my lust. Because understand, the Bible teaches that if we will just learn to walk according to the Spirit, if we will just learn to live by the Spirit, be sensitive to the Spirit, prompting us in our life, all of those things that we struggle with, eventually, they will begin to take care of themselves. And that's what led Paul to write in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Now notice this, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now understand, that's a promise. And Paul doesn't come to us like an old, you know, southern evangelist and say, I'm telling you, quit gratifying the desires of the flesh. He doesn't say that. He's saying, forget that. You need to learn to walk in the Spirit. And if you will learn to be sensitive to the Spirit in your life, over time, naturally, as God goes to work in your life, you will stop gratifying the desires of the flesh. That means if you're here this weekend and you struggle with your temper, or maybe you struggle with anger, or you struggle with depression or lust or gossip, God says this, why don't you focus on walking in this new way? Why don't you focus on walking in the Spirit? And when you do, I'll take care of the other stuff. And when you do, when you begin to walk by the Spirit, I'm going to produce the fruit in you that you want produced, but that you also need produced, because you can't do it yourself. It's a new way of living. And in case we didn't know what the fruit was that God wants to produce in us, Paul gives it to us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. By the way, Donnie did a phenomenal job on those topics. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, who doesn't want that kind of character? And so Paul wants to make sure we understand, as a Christian... Our goal isn't to commit ourselves to keeping a list of do's and don'ts. It's not to manhandle the Christian life. It's not to walk out of church and say, you know what, I've decided I'm not gonna smoke anymore. I'm not gonna drink anymore. I'm not gonna sleep around anymore. I'm not gonna cuss anymore. Maybe for you guys, I'm not gonna watch porn on the computer anymore. Maybe for your ladies, I'm not gonna watch The Bachelor anymore, which is really nothing more than lady porn. Let's be honest, okay? (laughs) So Paul says the goal of the Christian life isn't to decide all of these things that you're going to stop doing. He says if we're going to commit to anything in the Christian life, we need to commit to learning to walk according to the Spirit. And that means living our lives, responding to the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us to be and do what we otherwise could not be and do. And as we learn to walk according to the Spirit, guess what? The Holy Spirit goes to work. And He begins to produce fruit in us, the fruit of the Spirit. And this week we've come to maybe, uh, the the fruit we need more than any other fruit in our life, as it changes our character, is the fruit of patience. And I'm just gonna go on the record and say, I am the last person who should be talking about this. So don't do as I do, do as I say, okay? Let's just, let's see what the Bible has. I'll tell you how bad I am in this patience area. Uh, Yesterday, Laura and I, we, we took the grandkids to the mall in the morning, Uh, to get them some Easter clothes. That's, we kind of like doing that. And so we took the three grandkids and I drove my truck and she drove her car because I needed to get to the office right after that to get ready for the Saturday night services. And she was going to take the grandkids home. So as we're leaving, we have two cars. She's in the car with the grandkids, mind you. And I'm in my big old F-150 pickup truck behind her. And it's Crabtree Valley and it's kind of crowded. And there's this little section where somebody can't decide do they want to pull in, do they want to pull out? And the person on the other side won't go. and, And Laura doesn't know if they're waiting for the parking space. And so she's just, just sitting there for them to work it out, and I'm like, just go, just go, just go, just go. And I'm sitting in Crabtree Valley Mall, and this is what I did to my wife. Ah ah ah. Are you kidding me? With the grandkids in her car. Ah, you know. I need help. And you know when you think about it, the Bible is a book about patience, it's a book about waiting. I mean, think about this. God told Noah, I want you to build an ark because there's going to be a flood. Now, what's unique about this, it's never rained. I mean, it says up to this point, the earth was, was, was watered by a mist that rose up from the ground. The first time it rained was when the flood occurred. Noah built an ark and had to wait 120 years for it to actually rain. Abraham had to wait 100 years to have a son. David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. He was probably around the age of 13 or 14 years old. He was over the age of 30 when he actually became the king. He had to wait. Remember the disciples, they had to go to the upper room and they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. It's all about waiting. Here's the problem. Anytime we have to wait, what happens? It tests our patience, right? You go to the doctor and he says, something's not right. We better run some tests. That period of of, of waiting to hear back from the doctor's office, it takes patience, right? Or you get married and you quickly discover the person you married isn't the person you thought you married, and you realize you're not going to be able to change them. That God is going to have to change them. But in that period of time where God is doing the transformation and you can do nothing, it's that period of waiting, and it requires patience. So my question to you this weekend is, what tests your patience? And sometimes it's big things. Sometimes it's small things. You know, maybe it's when you're at the bank drive-through and all you want to do is deposit a check but the person in front of you is negotiating a second mortgage. I mean, you know, does that, does that test your patience? Or maybe you're a mom and it's when your four-year-old daughter is on her 15th episode of Dora the Explorer and it's not even lunch yet. You know what I'm saying? Does that test your patience? Or men, you go to pull out your new driver only to discover that your son's been using it as a lightsaber. I mean, does that test your patience? Or maybe it's like me, it's when you're in the express lane at Target and the person in front of you exceeds, because you've counted, exceeds the maximum number of allowable items. I mean, does that test your patience? I mean, the reality is, impatience permeates every area of our lives. If you're single, you get impatient because you're not married yet. You get married, you're impatient because you don't have children yet. We get impatient in the church parking lot because there's so much traffic. Uh-huh, now you're listening, right? Do you know that song Jess just did? I wanted her to do it at the end of the surface, but some of you are so impatient. If you even get a hint that we might be winding down the service, you just get up and start leaving, you know? We are, I mean, it is just, we're so familiar with impatience. It crosses all demographic lines, all socioeconomic levels. The rich get impatient. The poor get impatient. Middle class get impatient. Democrats get impatient. Republicans get impatient. We all are impatient. When we get impatient, that's when the husband says those cutting words to his wife that he knows he will never, ever be able to take back. When we get impatient, that's when the wife, you know, gives her husband that, look, you are such a jerk, right? When we get impatient, I'm telling you, that's when the dad gets in, you know, the van with his daughter after soccer practice. And he says, why can't you just kick the ball like everybody else on the team, right? That's when our boss says, you know, I don't even know why I pay you. I should just do it myself. But the reality is, is we all deal with impatient. By the way, it's interesting. We have an expression for someone who is impatient. We say that they are short-tempered. But someone who is patient We don't say, hey, they are long-tempered, but it's interesting, that's what the word actually means. The word for patient is made up from two Greek words. The first part of the word comes from a Greek word that means long or far in the distance. The second part comes from the Greek word thumos, it means heated. We get our word thermometer from it. We looked at that word a few months ago. But if you put the words together, this is what it means, long before we get heated. That's what it means to be patient, long before we get heated. And this is a word that was used in the first century to describe someone who had been hurt, wounded, someone who had been offended, and that person had at his or her disposal the ability and the resources to avenge themselves. In other words, they had the ability to get even. If they chose not to get even when they had been wronged, they were considered patient. They were considered long-tempered. And let's be honest, it's something that we all need. But this is not something you can get out of a book. This is not something that you can absorb by going to a seminar or even listening to a message. There is no magic formula. There is no pill, no regimen that we can go through to produce patience. It doesn't help to bite our tongue. It doesn't help to count to 10. I'm telling you, it is not going to happen naturally. But thankfully, there is a supernatural way that we can become people of patience. It's available to each one of us. And it's available simply because God loves us so much, he just can't stomach the thought of the damage that impatience does in our lives. And so God took it upon himself to develop us into patient people. But again, I want to remind you, the primary person in this process is not you, it's not me. The primary person who's working through this process is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who produces the fruit of patience in us. Now, here's the question. How does he do that? And this is where it gets a little tough. Because if it were up to us, we would prefer, if God took our advice, you know, we would prefer to become patient people by maybe going somewhere that's calm and serene and maybe maybe relaxed, kind of like a spiritual spa. And we can just sit around and somehow God would infuse patience into us. Unfortunately, God doesn't work that way. In fact, God does the exact opposite. God chooses to put us into situations where we're actually going to be tempted to be impatient. He is going to place us into situations that are designed to stretch us. And understand, he does that to learn how we're going to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And in that process, as we're learning to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God will begin to produce patience in us. And I've learned over the years that there are several things that God will use in this process to develop patience. First of all, God will use interruptions. Have you noticed that? I mean, you have one night during the week where you have all the kids together, all the family together. You're actually going to get to sit down one night and have a family meal. And you've worked, and you've prepared, and you're just beginning to serve the food, and there's a knock at the door, and your neighbor wants to borrow all of your lawn equipment. You know, it's just just those kinds of interruptions. Or, or, or maybe, you know, you, you finally get into the book that you've been trying to finish, and the dog needs to go out. Or you're exhausted from a long day of work, All you wanna do is go home, sit in your easy chair, and once again, watch Duke slip into Chapel Hill and upset the University of North Carolina on their home court. You know I had to say something about it, didn't you, right? And work calls, and they need you to come back in because they've got a problem. We all experience interruptions in life, but understand we're not alone. If you read the ministry of Jesus, he, he experienced interruptions all the time. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is teaching. He's right in the middle of his message and it tells us about a bunch of kids run in because they wanna be with Jesus, they wanna hang out with Jesus, they interrupt him. By the way, this happened to me years ago. I was pastoring my first church in Southern California, and my oldest son, who's 35 now, he was two at the time, And I was preaching, I was speaking, and I was at the best point in my message, and I didn't have many good points back then. So I remember, I was actually at a good point. And the back doors of the worship center opened, and here came my two-year-old son. He ran in the door, and he dived under a table in the back of the worship center while I'm speaking. And I look at him, and he looks at me, and he said, I got out. In other words, he broke out of the nursery. It was a great escape. (laughs) And right on the heels of that comes a nursery worker who just panicked that the pastor's son broke out of the nursery, right? But, you know, I'll, it, was, it was a big interruption. It was hard to put it all back together after that point, right? So Jesus is teaching these kids. Now, do you remember the disciples' reaction? Get those kids out of here. Get them back to Kid City, right? But it's interesting. Jesus turned the interruption into a teaching moment. Do you remember what he said? He said, whoa, whoa, wait just a second. He said, hey, guys, if you don't have simple faith like these children— you'll never experience the kingdom of God. I mean, all you have to do is read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll see how many times Jesus was interrupted when he was doing something important, but then he was incredibly patient as he dealt with those situations. But if we're gonna be like Jesus... If we're going to be able to become patient in times of interruption, we're going to have to understand that those interruptions are really nothing more than a test. And in the heat of that moment, God simply wants to know one thing. He wants to know how we are going to react to the test. He wants to know how are we going to react to the interruption. So he uses interruptions. Not only that, God allows inconveniences. And we hate to be inconvenienced because when we're inconvenienced, it takes our time. It means we have to wait. We don't want to wait. I mean, that's why we want instant coffee, instant marital bliss, instant spiritual maturity. We don't want to go to classes. We just want to be instantly mature. We want instant community in all of our relationships. We want it now. And anytime there's an inconvenience, it delays us. It gets in our way. It absolutely drives us nuts. So there's those inconveniences of life. Things aren't going the way you had planned it in your mind. It was supposed to go, and it irritates us. In fact, let me bring up the third one. It's irritations. And I, I don't know how to explain irritations. They're things that don't make sense to us, but they bug us. They just, they just, just grate on us. They just get under our skin. And it's usually not big things. It's little things, you know. I remember one time Laura asked me, Honey, what about me irritates you? Now, man, let me just tell you based on experience. The answer to that question is nothing, dear, and immediately leave the room. Don't even get in a conversation. Don't ask for a follow. Well, I was stupid. I decided, that I, well, yeah, there's a few things, you know. Don't do that. But there are things. And one was when Laura uses the hair dryer, she would put it back under the cabinet without wrapping the cord around the handle. And that just really, really bothered me. And I shared that with her, you know, where she wanted to wrap that cord, don't you? But anyway, but anyway, you know, it's things that irritate. One time at Dunkin' Donuts. And you know what, guys, when we go to get a dozen donuts, I was supposed to bring donuts to a meeting. It's not that big a deal. You're going to say, give me a a dozen donuts, right? But women have a whole different way of getting a dozen donuts. I discovered that. Because a lady in front of me, and I'm in a hurry, she's like, I would like a dozen donuts. And the little girl behind the counter gets the box already. Okay, she says, which ones would you like? She's like, hmm. I'll take one of those. No, 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 not one of those, not one of those. And I'm like, I gotta kill her. I gotta kill her. Right here in Duncan, that probably would not bother anybody. It drove me, it just, things that just get under your skin. And it's so easy to have, isn't it easy to have a short fuse in those situations? I mean, you just wanna explode, right? Right? And of course, you're like an idiot, but you do it. A few years ago, uh, when we first moved here from California, see, when we lived in California, my kids had to go to beaches like Laguna, Newport, Huntington Beach, you know, Malibu. We didn't have beaches like Myrtle Beach, which I call the Redneck Riviera. (laughs) And I decided when our family moved here, I got to take, they've never seen. See, I grew up in North Carolina. I knew all about the Redneck Riviera. So we go down to Myrtle Beach. And as we're coming back from Myrtle Beach, the, the most famous tourist place in the world, Pedro, south of the border. It's right there. You can't miss it. The big sombrero. And I won't even ask for a show of hands. How many of you have been there? Because most of you are so snotty, you're from Kereh. You would never admit that you've been there, right? But you've been there. We've all been there, right? And, and Laura was traumatized as I pull in to Pedro, south of the border. And uh, I said, well, honey, I got to get gas. So I get gas. and Then we have a couple of chili dogs, get more gas. And then I thought it would be so cool... <laughs> because I want to be the cool dad. We're going to buy some fireworks and some, some explosive. The kids are little at this time, right? And they're illegal in North Carolina. That shows you what a great parent I am. But I said, let's buy these things before we cross the border. So we go in and we find this bin. And I'm like reliving my childhood because there's these big fat red M80s. You know, they look like M80s. That's what we called them growing up. And so we buy this just ridiculous amount of money of fireworks. And we get in the car. And before we get ready to leave and pull back into North Carolina, I say, hey, we should light just one. Let's just light one, right? And so I I'm sitting in the driver's seat and Laura's like, honey, I don't know that this is a good idea. I'm like, this is gonna be so much fun. And so I push in the cigarette lighter and I roll down the window. (laughs) I did roll down the window. I'm not that stupid. And... uh, and uh, I pull out this M80, and she says, honey, the fuse is really short. I says, no, Bill, I'm going to light it and just flick it out the window, all right? So, so I light it, and, it goes, and I throw it, and it hits the top of the door frame. I mean, I got the whole window a foot away, right? It hits the top, and it falls right between my feet. Now, remember, I just got back from the beach. I'm wearing these rubber sandals, and all I could do was this. And boom, you know, and she looked at me like, I am so embarrassed that I ever married you, right? Did not play out the way I saw it in my mind, right? Now, in the very same way, it's very similar when there's irritations in our life. Very short fuse, right? Just kind of blow up. But this is what we're learning in this series. We're learning that the moment that we decide to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives. And once he moves in, he's going to take us through some things. That's going to give him the opportunity to develop patience in our life. Things like interruptions, things like inconveniences, things like irritations. And in that process, there's a couple of things that the Holy Spirit is going to do. Let me give them to you. First of all, in that process, he's going to go to work to give us a new perspective. A new perspective. By the way, did you notice all of the I words, interruptions, inconveniences, irritations? That's the problem with our impatience. It's an I problem. We get so focused on ourselves. It's all about me, my, my, myself. It's my schedule, my agenda. It's about my feelings, it's about my needs. The problem is this, when we're focused on I, see we don't have the spiritual eyes to see the way that God wants us to see. So this is what the Holy Spirit will do. If we will just cooperate with the Holy Spirit, he'll kind of take our head gently in his hands, And he'll turn to get our perspective off of ourself. I, me, mine, myself. And he will turn my eyes to God. And all of a sudden I have a new perspective. I have a new focus because now I'm not just looking at myself. Now I'm looking at God. And when I begin to focus on the nature of God, when I begin to zoom in on the character of God, you know what I'm reminded? I'm reminded of just how patient he is. And he's he's patient in a couple of ways. First of all, he's patient with those outside the family. We just finished up a series and we looked at this verse several times, but let me remind you of it. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. It means he has a long fuse, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But even though we just finished up that last series, what's next, and we basically said from a biblical perspective, according to the Bible, when we die, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. You're you're either going to spend in heaven, which is an incredible place, or you're going to spend all eternity in hell, which is a horrible place. Now, from my perspective, that would be a pretty easy decision. But some of you, even in that series, you still rejected God's simple free offer of salvation. And as you sit here this weekend, you're still testing the patience of God. And sometimes I just wanna grab you by the shoulders and shake you and say, come on man, don't you know what's at stake? No, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. I learned a long time ago, all I can do is, is sit up here and present to you biblical truth, biblical principles, put the information out there. At the end of the day, you have to decide what you're going to do with it. But if you're still rejecting God, this is what I want you to know. Thankfully, God is a God of patience. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. But this is what you need to know. One day his patience will run out. But as of right now, he's patiently waiting. So God is patient with those outside the family. Now here's the second part. And this is really what we need to remember. God is patient with those of us inside the family. Let me ask you a question as a Christian. Do you try the patience of God? I think you do. I think we all do. Even the great apostle Paul, Romans chapter 7, he says, man, the things I'm supposed to do, I don't do. The things I'm supposed to avoid, I do all the time. Wretched man that I am. Paul knew that he was trying the patience of God. See, I always thought of, uh, of Peter, Simon Peter, as Mr. Inconsistency until I came along. I mean, Peter one minute was like, Jesus, everyone else may desert you, but I will die for you. And then Jesus gets arrested, and people start questioning, aren't you with Jesus? Jesus who? I thought his name was Jesus. I don't even know who you're talking about. I've never seen the guy before, right? Total flip-flop. One minute he's walking on the waters of faith. The next minute he's drowning in a sea of doubt. The truth is, every one of us, including myself, we are just as flaky as Peter. I mean, I have incredible issues. I have character flaws. If you knew my character flaws, you wouldn't show up to hear me talk. I'm telling you that right now. I got issues. I say things I shouldn't say. My grandkids remind me of that all the time. Grandma, Papa said stupid. Oh. Grandma, Papa said dumb. Oh. Grandma, Papa said butt. I'm like, I'm not even going to talk around you kids. You know, I don't know. What, I don't know what you young parents are teaching your kids these days, but let them grow up a little bit. Anyway, you know. But anyway, you know. So, I, but I can say a lot worse than that. And I have thoughts pastors shouldn't have. I mean, I was I was walking into a store one day, and there was a lady behind me. So I'm a Southern gentleman. I held the door open and smiled and she stopped about three feet from me. She said, sir, I can open my own door. I'm thinking as I walk in, I hope it hits you in the face and breaks your nose. That's why I said, I said pastors, pastors shouldn't think things like that, right? And don't act like I'm the only one, right? But thankfully we have a God that remains patient with us. He continues to work with us Philippians chapter one, verse six, he who began a good work in us. He knows we're work. He knows we're a project. What's it say? Oh, he'll be faithful to complete it. See, I love this verse, Proverbs 14, 29. It says this, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick tempered, one who has a short fuse, displays folly. Literally it says, you act like a fool, okay? Now the Holy Spirit will teach us how to look and see from a different perspective. And then the Holy Spirit will teach us how to trust He will teach us how to trust God. And as we learn to trust God in the situations that cause us to be impatient, situations in our marriage, situations at school, situations at our job, situations in our relationships, as we learn to trust God in those situations, this is what happens. This This is how you know you're making progress in your spiritual journey. You'll stop asking the question, God, why is this happening to me? And you'll start asking the question, God, what are you trying to teach me? Big difference. I had a staff in my office this week, one of our staff individuals, and I was talking to them and I said, here's your issue right now. You gotta decide, God, what is it you're trying to teach me right now? But I'm gonna tell you, whenever you get there, it will require patience because I don't know if you realize it or not, but God does not work on our time schedule. Psalm 37, verse seven, be still before the Lord and wait, what? Patiently for him. And James one tells us why we have to do that. The greatest section on patience in all the Bible, James one, verse three says, because you know, You know, you should know this, that the testing of your faith, that's the waiting period, produces perseverance. It produces patience. So through this book, James tells us that God is going to come along and he is going to design some specific tests for us. Tests that were designed to stretch us. Specific tests that were designed to force us into a corner that we can't get out of. And God's attitude is while I've got you cornered, there are some lessons that I want to teach you. Let's work on your patience. In other words, God is going to deliberately bring some tests, some tough times into our lives that will that will put us in a situation where it forces us to trust Him. We just have to trust. We just have to trust. I love the way Solomon put it, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't think about, it, about your human perspective, your human logic. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Literally means in all of your ways, in every area of your life, submit to him and he will make your path straight. He will get you where you really want to go. He will get you more importantly, where he wants you to go. But the key ingredients is trust some of you know, a couple of years ago, I decided years ago, I had, I started tearing my knees up playing sports and finally got to the point where the doctor said, let's just replace them. Let's do them both at the same time. You're in good enough shape. Let's just do it and get it over with. So I went in and had both my knees replaced. A couple of weeks later, one wasn't doing right. And I found out there was infection and that led to all kinds of mess and having the knee replaced and 42 days, straight days of antibiotics, uh, uh, uh things they put into you says, I can't even think of the word now. And, uh, and then I had to go through 21 days of oral antibiotics, IVs and things like that, and lost about 30 pounds. And it was kind of touch and go there for a while. And, uh, finally the knee started to heal up, but I wasn't getting much, much movement out of it because there was so much scar tissue from the two surgeries so close. And so one day my doctor said, listen, I'm going to take you, put you back in the hospital. I'm going to put you under and we're going to go to the operating room. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And he says, I am just going to manhandle your knee. I'm going to take it while you're out and I'm going to crunch it and grind it. And we're just going to break up that scar tissue. And I think, I don't care. I'm asleep. And uh, so we went through that and then Laura picked me up and took me straight to physical therapy that day. And I remember laying on my stomach there in physical therapy and my therapist, he was bending my right leg up and it's pretty good. Then he started on my left leg and he's trying to work it a little bit. And there's, there's like, a, like a high school girl laying on the table beside me. She had a soccer injury and she was there for some therapy. And, and my therapist looked at her and said, hey, you want to see a grown man scream? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I put my head up, who's this grown man that's going to scream, <laughs> you know? And he just took my knee and went, oh, and he just pushed it. And I mean, I literally almost came off that table, but this is what I thought. That's the exact same way it is when God is working on us. He pulls, he pushes, he mashes, he squeezes until we become a little more flexible and eventually we begin to give a little in areas of our life where we didn't give before. And God is hoping that in that process, over time if, as he keeps working us, that we will learn not only to feel comfortable, but we will learn to be more patient as we're forced To trust him. Now, here's the X factor. We have no idea what the test is going to be. But we do know this. We know that God is going to bring good out of it. Romans 8 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. By the way, it doesn't say that all things are good, does it? Mm -mm. It says God works for the good. Let's be honest. Some things God brings into our life, they stink, they hurt. They're this incredible pain, they're ugly. And sometimes I've told Laura, I feel like God puts a rubber band around my neck and he just twists it tighter and tighter. You ever felt like that? Sometimes we feel like the very fabric of our lives is being pulled apart. And while it's being pulled apart, we're like, God, what's going on? God, what's the deal? God, I've been faithful. We're like, Job, why is this happening, right? But I'm gonna tell you something. When we go through those times, if we will learn to hang in there, if we will learn to stay with it, this is what's going to happen eventually we will merge out the other, emerge out the other side. And we will be able to look back and say, now I get it, now I see. This was a good thing. This was a maturing thing. This was a stretching thing, but it was a God thing. But for that to happen, we're gonna have to learn to trust. Laura and I, we've been going through some stuff lately, and she's so much better than I am, but I cannot tell you how many times Laura has said, hey, honey, We either trust God or we don't. That takes patience, doesn't it? Let's be honest. We're not very patient people, are we? You probably heard the American prayer. God, give me patience and I need it right now, you know. And God's like, you want patience? Fine. He gives us 17 interruptions before we even get to work or school. So let me tell you what's going to happen as you walk out the doors of the place this weekend. I can almost guarantee it. Your patience is going to be tested. Tested. It's going to be tested in the parking lot. You're going to go somewhere to eat, and you're going to have a wait person, and you're going to be the first person they have ever waited on in their life. Okay? Right? Right? Your kids are going to be squirrely, and they're going to be bigger brats than they usually are. And you're going to go to work or school on Monday, and you're going to be tested. And here's the issue what are you going to do? Are you going to silence the Holy Spirit? Are you going to ignore what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life? are you going to choose to take matters into your own hands? Because if you don't, you'll never submit to the Holy Spirit. And you'll never learn to trust. And if you never learn to trust, He will never produce patience in you. Father, thank you for this time that we have together. Man, I wish I could flip a switch and be patient. And it just doesn't work that way. And we have to be very, very careful about praying for patience because, God, you will give it, (laughs) you'll give us adequate opportunities to get there. Father, I just pray right now that I realize probably every one of us right now, we're in some kind of test. We're in some kind of tough situation. Nobody's life is just perfect. If it's not in our marriage, then it's with our kids. If it's not with our kids, then it's with our job. If it's not with our job, then it's with our schooling with our finances, it could be with our health, but we're going through these tests, these tough times. And Father, there are things you want to teach us. And may we trust you that you're a good God, that you're a loving God. As we're reminded in the book of Lamentations, your mercies are renewed every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that you will bring us out the other side. And we will be more like you. Because your Holy Spirit is working in us. And he who begins a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And that's where we place our trust. In your name we pray, amen.